Today's scriptures are from John chapter 2, verses 13 through 25. When the Passover feast, celebrated each spring by the Jews, was about to take place, Jesus traveled up to Jerusalem. He found the temple teeming with people selling cattle and sheep and doves. The loan sharks were also there in full strength. Jesus put together a whip out of strips of leather and chased them out of the temple, stampeding the sheep and cattle, upending the tables of the loan sharks, spilling coins left and right. He told the dove merchants, Get your things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a shopping mall. That's when his disciples remembered the scripture. Zeal for your house consumes me. But the Jews were upset. They asked, what credentials can you present to justify this? Jesus answered, tear down this temple, and in three days I'll put it back together. They were indignant. It took 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to rebuild it in three days? But Jesus was talking about his body as the temple. Later, after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this. They then put two and two together and believed both what was written in the scripture and what Jesus had said. During the time he was in Jerusalem, those days of the Passover feast, many people noticed the signs he was displaying and seeing they pointed straight to God and trusted their lives to him. But Jesus didn't entrust his life to them. He knew them inside and out, knew how untrustworthy they were. He didn't need any help in seeing right through them. The word of the Lord. Be to God. This passage means different things in different gospels. The Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they seem to be pointing at the injustice of the the temple and the marketplace and the mercantile exchange that happened there and then. Uh, Alex, come on, you can have a seat. And, And the critique of those scriptures was Jesus saying, God loves all people, whether they can afford to pay for the animal sacrifice or not. And the cost of that animal sacrifice often excluded people from coming into the temple to pray. And the message was, if you can't afford a relationship with God, you don't deserve a relationship with God. In the Gospel of John, John is such a theological text. It was written in the second century, and it was for the church to realize who Jesus is and what are the implications of that for the way we live out our Christian discipleship. In the Gospel of John, our body, our flesh, is 
elevated, lifted up, valued. It's very interesting that this text comes in Lent when so many Christians traditionally think of the flesh as bad and the spirit as good. In the Gospel of John, he begins by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh, became incarnate. God seems to delight in the human body, and God seems to delight in being a human being. And perhaps God was coming to the earth as fully God and fully human in Jesus the Christ to show all followers of Christ how to put those things together so that we too might understand ourselves as this mystery of divinity, the divine touch, and humanity. In the cleansing of the temple, according to the Gospel of John, Jesus is not so much angry at the injustice of the economic infrastructure. He's angry that the people who are arguing with him don't see God standing right in front of them. He's hoping to communicate that God is not necessarily bound by a building. God is not somewhere up there or out there. God is incarnate in the flesh, in the disguise of the human being right here, right now, in Jesus the Christ. And the leadership of that economic system and temple say, by what sign, by what authority are you saying this? And Jesus says, tear down this temple, and in three days, I'll build it back. I don't know if there was a hand gesture along with that, tear down this temple, or if he just said it. But you can see that the conversation is one of those theological conversations where people are missing each other. Have you ever been a part of one of those conversations? They say, it took 46 years to build this temple, and you say you're going to build it back in three days? But Jesus was talking about his body, his flesh, and they were talking about the building. The theological point that Jesus is trying to make again is God speaks the language of death and resurrection, and out of his death, God will raise him again. He's also saying that God wants to be in relationship. God wants to be in the here and now, in the flesh, in the human experience. By God deciding to be one of us, that makes all of our physicality sacred. It makes our very bodies holy because God decided long ago to become one of us in the flesh to show us how to put this divinity and humanity together. 
Now, after the Gospel of John was written and the church lived into this and claimed its identity as the body of Christ, then the same truth is there. That we are the body of Christ. God is not somewhere out there. God is not bound by a beautiful building. But God is in our midst when we gather as followers of Jesus. So our task and invitation and joy is to look for the divine presence in one another's eyes. To look for the divine presence in ourselves and in each other. And if we can get good at that, we will begin to see God everywhere and in everyone. This Lent, we've been journeying with Jesus and journeying with one another, listening to each other's experiences of the pilgrimage of trust that we walk together. We have heard about experiences of journeying with cancer. We have heard about experiences of climbing Mount Kilimanjaro last week and other mountains and challenges. This week, I am so grateful to be having a conversation with Alex Strunk who over the last year in a very significant way has been journeying with his parents through the, uh, the vulnerable space of leaving this earthly body, of dying. And um, I am so grateful, Alex, for your willingness to share with me over the last year some of that landscape because those conversations have... Uh, made a difference in my life. And I'm, I'm gr- glad you can share just some of that landscape with us as a congregation because I think what Alex has um, articulated in his journey with his parents is unique, but it's also universal. It's something that is so universal that we all experience that at some level. So maybe you could start, Alex, by just telling us a little bit about the landscape of your care for your mom and dad in Switzerland over the last year or so. So a year ago, I stood in front of you and spoke about this journey of love that my father had found with my mother, a newfound love. My mother has Alzheimer's disease. My father would visit her every day, and he passed away this last year. And um, so I moved from visiting two parents to then attending to the end of my father's life, So we're not prepared for this. We don't learn how to get prepared for this. You know, at school we learn how to read and write and count, but we're really never taught how to deal with the end of somebody's life. And there are many twists and turns, uh, many unexpected twists and turns on the journey. And some of it is good, believe it or not, even if it's the end of the life. You learn things about yourself, your relationships, other people. I think of what Jeff just spoke about, finding, seeing God amongst us. And I can relate one little story. My father would go to this nursing home every day to feed my mother. And there are many nurses' aides. And one day, there's a knock at the door at the hospital, And one of the nurse's aides showed up. He's a Portuguese man, 
and he came to love my father. He needed to see him before the end. And as, as Jeff just said, that was a moment of, of God amongst us. And I know it touched me a lot. Not because he visited, but he cared so much. And it was one of those priceless, precious moments. Another totally unexpected event. I stepped out of my father's hospital room one day, and there's a young woman standing there. Her back was turned to me. And she turned around. This was my ex-sister-in-law. Her father was in the room next door. He was ill. And we hugged, embraced. I hadn't seen her in 30 years. And it was a precious moment where both of us were vulnerable and both of us wanted to express love and support. And that's the unexpected on this journey that is difficult, this journey towards the end. One of the early church tenets, sometimes we sing that, that chant, Ubi Caritas, from Tizé. It's 10th century. Where there's love, et caritas, where there's charity and love, Deus ibiest, God is right there. When did you experience a love that um, either was with an, a, a person that was also caring for your parents, or perhaps a, a cosmic love that you just felt surrounded by? by God at some level. So as I said before, we're not prepared for this, for this event, death. Um, I was privileged enough to have parents who, who, who lived a long time. I had some time to prepare for this. My father started to fail, and I recognized that it was really important that whatever differences existed between us, needed to be resolved. And I think that one of the greatest joys that I have felt, and I know some of my siblings did the same, was that we were able in these final years to resolve differences that we may have had. And that was priceless, because when somebody is lying in a hospital bed, it's too late. If you haven't resolved your issues, you haven't extended yourself to love, it's too late because, as you know, many of you know, the end of life can be difficult. That person may or may not be conscious. So resolve your issues, right? It may be difficult, but it's too late when they're in a hospital room. Yeah, we, we had a conversation last week um, at Cafe Villa about uh, some wisdom that we've gleaned from this. One of my spiritual directors years ago said, we, we can't see what we aren't taught to look for. We can't see what we aren't taught to look for. And, and we mused together in that conversation about what to look for in the, in the midst of caring for um, aging parents. You had mentioned one of the things, one of the wisdoms that you've gleaned from this journey is Take care of the business now. Take care of the forgiveness issues now. Do the relationship resolve and reconciliation now because some, sometime it'll be too late to, to do that work. Uh, what other wisdom did you experience in this journey with your parents? 
As I said, we, we aren't taught how to take care of this dying process. But I will say, if you are focused, if one is focused on the, what is right, you're doing right by that person. This is not about us. This is about them. And I think if we keep the, our eye on the ball, if, you, if one focuses on what is they need, what are, we, you do right. You, the, and this speaks to this issue of resolving one's issues. Because I will say I found it to be one of the most amazing human experiences that I've ever had because my focus was totally on this person who was coming to the end of their life. It made it very simple, very simple to make sure that all the decisions were about what was right for them, not what was right for me or my siblings. And I will admit, one of my siblings did not resolve her issues with my father, and she will carry that burden the rest of her life, and she's a young woman. I, I will commend to any of you who are dealing with this, and many of you are, there's a beautiful book called um, Being Mortal. It's written by a, uh, in fact, I wrote it down here. It's written by an Indian doctor who practices at NYU, I think, called Atul Gawande. And it is a beautiful book about this journey, the journey of understanding what that person needs, what they need at the end of their life. And if you're able to assess what that is, it helps one through this journey. I read it after the fact, but I, I recommend it to anybody who's dealing with aging parents. I think in that book he makes a point of the shift he's made in his own career from asking the question, how do I treat the cancer, to asking the patient, what would make your life complete? What would bring your life joy right now? And, and he's focusing more on that than the actual treatment of the disease. So in some ways, he's doing the same thing you were saying. Focus on the patient. What does that person need in this moment? We're talking a little bit today about how incarnation is so important to us as followers of Jesus, that God decides to be with us in the flesh you shared with me a story about some, a Christian who came by the hospital um, as a part of his ministry. Can you share just a little bit about that? So you may or may not know, but Europe is even more secular than the United States. But there is a movement now in the hospitals in Switzerland where there are people who volunteer their time and come and speak to people coming to the end of their lives. And so one day I'm in the room with my father and I hear a knock, knock, knock at the door and I walk to the door. My father was sleeping and there's a man standing there. And uh, I said, yes. He says, I come to speak to people coming to the end of their lives because most people die alone. And I will say, if I had a fear about my aging parents, Certainly my father, because he, was, he had all his marbles, was dying alone. That was my only fear. It wasn't death. It was that he would die alone. And I thought that was just a priceless exchange. That may be a word to us um, who... We may resonate with Alex's landscape... And, and if you do, uh, 
you may want to talk more with Alex. He's got a lot more wisdom than we could possibly share this morning. Or you might want to talk with one another about this landscape that is so universal. And simply by talking about it, it makes it more accessible and, and less um, fearful. But it may also be a word to someone in our congregation who may hear that story of the guy showing up, didn't know either of your parents. He just knew that someone might need his company as they made this journey. That may be the incarnational ministry that some of us are called to, to just show up to a neighbor's, to a friend's who may be going through difficulty and just say, I just want to be with you. I just want to be with you. Alex, thank you for your willingness to share some of this journey, this pilgrimage of trust, and thank you for your your witness of love and healing as you cared for and care for your parents. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give thanks for Alex, his mom, his dad, his family, and for the holy moments that you have given him. We ask your blessing on each of us as we either walk through this landscape or prepare to walk through this landscape or reflect upon the meaning of the landscape we have already walked through. As we care for those who are hurting, those who are sick, those who are dying. God, we trust you in all our ways. Help us to trust you even more. God, use us to be vessels of your compassion, your care, your love. We pray in Christ. Amen. Thank you, Alex.